Okay, so we're continuing on with our series here about the foundations of the New Testament church. I'm going to be uh, sharing on prayer, and I want to start with this scripture from Psalm 26, verse 8, where King David says, O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. And uh, the focus this morning is going to be on prayer. And, you know, most people don't know that the very first church that I pastored in Minneapolis was called New Testament Church. That's right. It was a church that was started during the revival uh, of the Jesus people days. And um, they were called the New Testament Church because the whole purpose uh, was to emulate the first church that was found in the book of Acts. That was their North Star. That was their compass. Uh, so when John landed on this preaching theme for our fall launch, I was really excited because it went right back to my ministry roots. And I don't think even John knew that the church I first pastored uh, was called New Testament Church, so that made it even better. Uh, and with our topic of prayer this morning, this is one of my favorite kingdom activities. So this message brings together two of my greatest loves. So Jesus, we come before you. We thank you, God, that you never change that you are always warm, you're always bright, and you always fill us with revelation. We thank you, God, that you come along as a shepherd to lift heaviness off of us, to encourage us, and to spurn us on. Holy Spirit, this morning as we just sit under your word, we pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts, quicken us with the life that only you can give. We commit our time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when I first got saved as a a 17-year-old, God put a natural hunger Uh, for prayer in my heart. I love to pray for souls, my family, to seek the Lord. And several prayer events marked um, my early years as a Christian. The first was that I made a vow to pray for one whole year for all my unsaved family members, one hour every night after my studies while I was in university. No matter how late it got, which meant on many occasions, I was up until one, two, even three in the morning. Second, during the last term of my senior year at university, I started an all-night prayer meeting six days a week, resting on Sunday, but we had teams of one to three people that would pray all night for our campus, asking the Lord to move in revival. And then when I graduated from university, my parents asked if there's any place I wanted to go, take a break, and I told them that I wanted to go on a backpacking trip to Israel. My best friend and I, I had talked about making this trip, and so my parents graciously agreed to buy me a ticket, which I was really excited about. So we were jazzed, we prepped for our trip, bought all the right clothes, bought steel frame backpacks. I don't even know if they make those anymore, but that was the state of the art back then. Um, But two weeks before we were to go, my friend told me that he had to cancel because he had gotten engaged and needed to stay back and help with the wedding plans. The power of women. I was bummed, uh, and I thought that I would have to cancel my trip as well. But after talking to my parents, surprisingly, uh, they said, you know what? We're okay with you backpacking to Israel by yourself. I don't know what they were thinking, because I'm not sure I would say that to my own kids. But I was excited to get their blessing, so off I went. When I landed in Tel Aviv, I hopped on a bus to Jerusalem, and the first thing that I saw was a young lady dressed in Israeli military uniform carrying a machine gun. I was shocked by the visual of it, but oddly felt safe as well. What an introduction to Israel, and soon found that the people on the bus were very friendly, very chatty, struck up some wonderful conversations. Then I checked into a, into a hostel in the old city of Jerusalem. And so I set out to explore it right away, and not having eaten in over a day from excitement, I was all of a sudden very hungry. As you know me by now, sure enough, I ended up in front of a bakery shop. So I pointed to a pastry uh, in one of the windows, and the owner went to the back of the store to give me my order. Three hours later, I was doubled over in pain, vomiting, and experiencing severe diarrhea. Thankfully, I was able to get back quickly to my hostel, but I had gotten a terrible case of food poisoning. I should have realized that when the bakery owner didn't give me the pastry that I actually pointed to, instead went to the back of the store, he probably brought back to me an expired pastry, and I paid dearly for it. 
That night, after going to the bathroom several times, I fainted in the bathroom and knocked myself unconscious. When I woke up, I found myself in the corner of the bathroom praying on my knees. I have no idea or recollection how I got there, but I distinctly remember the pain of the small tiles on my knees and how stinky it was because I was close to one of the stalls. When I got up and stumbled to the sink, I had amnesia for about five minutes. I kept thinking that I was in Amsterdam, but somehow I knew I wasn't in Amsterdam, but I kept like, no, I'm not in Amsterdam, not in Amsterdam. And looking to the mirror, I saw that my mouth was all bloodied and my front two teeth were chipped because I had hit my head on the sink on the way down. I eventually was able to make, wake, uh, make my way back to the bunk. The guy next to me saw how, what a bad shape I was in, and he was a middle-aged Jewish guy from Boston, and he became a good Samaritan to me, delaying his own travels by one day in order to take care of me, and I was very grateful for that. So this was just three days into my trip, and it was not going well. Now, back then, there were no cell phones, there were no smartphones. I actually had to call my parents by a regular landline to update my parents on my situation, and my mom was almost hysterical. Richard, you must fly home. You need work on your teeth. You're in no shape to backpack in the hot Middle East sun. I insist you fly home. I told my mom I didn't want to waste the money that they had spent on my ticket, and I'd be all right but she insisted. She said, you take my American Express card and you go to the best hotel that you can find and rebook your flight back to the U.S. as soon as you can. After praying about it, I had to admit I was not in good shape. And my front teeth, because the enamel was broken, they were crumbling. If I ate anything more, the jagged edges would have just gotten worse. So reluctantly, I made the decision to fly back after only being in Israel for four days. Got into a taxi, told him to take me to the nearest hotel, and he dropped me off at King David Hotel. If you know Jerusalem, this is the nicest five-star hotel in the country. But I had no idea. I just like, take me to the nearest hotel. But I knew that I had the power of my mom's Amex. (laughs) So I walked in. The front desk was a bit incredulous. This Asian kid who was 22 but looked like 16, all bedraggled, only had a pack on his back and no luggage. And I remember distinctly the bellhops staring at me as I went by them, walking up to reservations, and they were like, right, how is this kid going to pay for his stay here? But hey, Amex is Amex. And they booked me into a beautiful room while I recovered. I ordered a burger plate for dinner, my first solid meal, slept for 15 hours, and the next day I was back on the plane to the States. Now here's what happened after I got back to the States. While I was recuperating home, getting my teeth fixed, I found myself praying two to three hours a day as if it was like drinking water. It was so effortless, so powerful, so natural. I had no idea what was going on. There was such a grace that was on me and such an identification with the people that I was praying for. And then I realized what actually had gone on. I went to Israel on a backpacking adventure, but God brought me to Jerusalem to impact me with a spirit of prayer and to impart a spirit of intercession to me. God had given me an indelible touch of the early church and its passion for prayer right where it all started in the book of Acts. What a graduation gift. God even uses weak old pastries to accomplish his purposes. Ever since that time, prayer has been a love for me. While I was working as a scientist before going into ministry, There was a five-year period in which I didn't watch any TV or movies in order to spend my time in prayer. There's a whole section of of very famous movies like Star Wars. I never saw any of it. I would would go to church from 5 to 7 a.m. to join several others for early morning prayer. So for those of you to log on at 6.30, hey, you got this. I did it from 5 to 7 for many years. I'd be involved in more all-night prayer meetings. I would organize citywide prayer meetings. And over the last 25 years as a pastor, I've led the main prayer meeting of the church every single week. Prayer is such a love. There were many times where there's only two or three people in the prayer meetings, and we'd go on for weeks and months. But it didn't matter about the size. It didn't matter who was coming. It was that we would get God to seek the face of God. There were times where the prayer meetings would mushroom to 200 people, 
and they'd ebb back down again. But the key was to be together and be before the Lord. What a joy it was, and I can't tell you how transformative and life-giving it's been. There are not enough words in the world to express my thankfulness to God for how he's met me in prayer, comforted me, guided me, spoke to me, and answered my prayers. I am a blessed man. And this love for prayer is exactly what we see in the New Testament. It was one of their foundation stones, prayer, glorious prayer. In Acts chapter 1, the church was birthed in prayer while they were waiting in the upper room. In Acts chapter 2, the church, numbering in the thousands of believers, were daily devoted to prayer. Thousands. Our stretch goal is for 30 people to log on. Actually, I would like to see 27 people log on September 27th. If we get to 30, that's great. But in the early church, there were thousands of believers that were committed to prayer. In Acts chapter 6, the apostles turned on the opportunity to serve in one of the most famous church finance finance social nets in history in order to stay devoted to what? Prayer and the ministry of the word. That's how prime prayer is. In Acts 7, the church's first martyr, Stephen, he died while he was praying. Acts chapter 10, Gentile evangelism was born because Peter went up to a housetop to pray at lunchtime. Acts chapter 12, Peter is supernaturally delivered from jail. The religious leaders of that time did not like this growing movement of the gospel, this growing good news about Jesus Christ. They tried to suppress it. They tried to cut it off. And so they threw the leaders in jail, including Peter. But the Bible says the church prayed fervently for Peter, an angel of the Lord came and delivered him. Prayer is where the power is. Prayer is the lifeblood of the church. It's a key foundation stone of the New Testament church. Stephen Covey wrote a very well-known book, Seven Habits of Highly Successful People. Well, our foundation is about the habits of highly effective churches, and prayer is one of them. Well, where did the early church get this conviction and devotion to prayer? From none other than Jesus himself. Jesus himself is the chief cornerstone, the chief intercessor, the chief prayer warrior, the chief prayer example. The apostles watched Jesus for three years and received that same spirit, that same impartation and commitment to prayer. The Bible tells us that Jesus was praying while he was baptized in the Jordan River and the Holy Spirit came upon him. He prayed all night to select the 12 apostles out of the hundreds of candidates that he could have chosen. He was praying while he was transformed on the Mount of Transfiguration. He was praying in Gethsemane to the point of sweating blood. And by the way, as a side point, I believe that the totality of Jesus' intercession and redemption for us touches our very mind. You know, mental health is such a big thing, and God is very near. He understands the anguish of mental difficulties. And there he was in Gethsemane, sweating blood. He prayed while he was on the cross. He prayed early in the morning before the sun came up. He often withdrew to remote places to pray. He taught the disciples to pray. And he taught them to persist in prayer. In fact, he would pray so often the disciples had to find where he was on many different occasions. He prayed to recover and get his energy back after many of his crusades. Prayer was Jesus' lifeline, strong tower, and happy place with God. Jesus modeled the foundational importance of prayer to the apostles, who then led the early church into it so that we could read about it 2,000 years later as a permanent record and to do the same. Which brings us back to our opening verse. O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. What made the early church so compelling and so exciting and so inspiring? What if we could get into a time machine and be transported back 2,000 years and just be dropped into that early church? My goodness, we would just be so excited. And what made them so compelling and so inspiring? It was because they were a habitation of God's glory, a habitation of God's glory. And when we talk about foundations, We're talking about what it's like to be a habitation for God's glory and God's presence 
like we sang this morning. It's always been God's heart and design to be in the midst of his people in a tangible way, in a manifest way. That God looks to inhabit his people is portrayed so vividly for us. Look at the first tabernacle that was built by Moses in the wilderness. What happened when Moses dedicated the tent? The Bible says in Exodus 40 that the, 40, that the glory came down. Moses could not stand up because of the glory of God that filled the temple. The Hebrew word for glory is kabod, and it's a word for heaviness. Like you put a little nugget of gold in your hand, you, all of, it'll dip down because of the weight. The weight is the glory of God. Moses' tabernacle was filled with glory and filled with gold as a picture of that glory. When you walk into a meeting and the manifest presence of God is there, there is a heaviness to a meeting. Not the heaviness that the world gives, but the heaviness of his presence. And that's what we want. We want it to be thick in our meetings. God identified himself with the Jewish people as they were traveling through the desert in this geographical place called the tabernacle for the first time since the fall of man. What happened when Solomon built the first permanent temple in Jerusalem? Moses' tabernacle was a mobile one, but then God allowed them to build a permanent temple in Jerusalem. And did you know the remains of that temple that Solomon built is still preserved in Jerusalem at the Western Wall today? That's why it's the most revered site in the Jewish faith. Well, when Solomon dedicated the temple, the glory came down again. So much so that the priests could not stand up. They were slain by the glory, slain in the Holy Spirit. You know, sometimes we faint from bad news, and sometimes we faint from good news. Like, oh my gosh, that's, that's unbelievable. And the presence of God is so strong, and it just absorbs our energy in such a way. It's like the goodness of God is above and beyond what I can think or imagine. So two for two, both of these temples, God came down, filled it with his glory, indicating to us he loves to be with his people. But that was not the final expression of the temple. It wasn't a tent of, of gopher skins. It wasn't a tent of brick and mortar. The ultimate temple was you and me, a living temple. And so what happened when the third and final temple, the church, was birthed in Acts chapter 2? You guessed it. The glory came down again at Pentecost. He already foreshadowed it with Moses and Solomon. Now the glory came down three for three. God's heart is to inhabit his people, not just a place where he visits and comes around once in a while like a visit from a friend who drops in but to inhabit and to stay and to abide like the dove that alighted upon Jesus and remained. Read that verse in John chapter one. It says the dove came upon Jesus and remained. It didn't just touch down and leave. No, it stayed upon Jesus. Now who doesn't want this? Who doesn't want Jesus to say? Who doesn't want their local church to be a habitation like the church in Acts? where there were signs and wonders and miracles and unity and love and power and generosity and fearlessness and zeal and passion for a sustained period of nearly 40 years. This wasn't just a few weeks of God's outbreak of presence. No, it was a sustained outbreak, outbreak of 40 years. Who doesn't want to see thousands of people saved? It's hard for us to imagine, isn't it, that thousands of people could be saved in Vancouver, that people would be lined up at churches on Sunday morning, that our parking lots would be filled, that our highways would be jammed and clogged because people are trying to get to church because they want to meet Jesus Christ, because they want to be cleansed from their sins, because they want to get right. Beloved, let's lift up our faith. Let's start praying into this and believing that God can come and visit our church and our city. This is the bold vision that we're going after. Five Stones Church is now over 15 years old. Are we just going to rest? Are we just going to say this is good? We've got great fellowship. No, we have to keep pressing on. Like Paul says, setting aside, laying aside that which I have achieved. And when Paul said that, he wasn't talking about the negative things. He was already in prison. He, talked, he was thinking about all the wonderful churches and signs and wonders that he had 
experienced by the grace of God. He's saying, you know what? All that good stuff, I could just dwell on the past glory, but I'm pressing forward to a future glory. And so we want to keep pressing forward, not just because it's soulish ambition, because the Spirit of God is wanting more for us. This is a time to rise up. This is the culture shift that we're after. Now, not that we don't have it in some measure, but we want to intensify it, to go deeper, to mature even more. With the world falling apart and darkness covering the earth like never before. I think I could call any one of you here, you could get up and preach about the darkness that's covering the earth. Isaiah prophesied that in Isaiah chapter 60, that a deep, thick darkness would cover the earth. And please do not be deceived that somehow all the brightness that we see around us is a good thing. There is so much darkness that is covering people's eyes. When evil is being called good and good is being called evil, the heavens and the earth are being shaken, COVID and all. Our institutions are collapsing. Our social fabric is coming apart at the seams. We have to be sons of Issachar that understand the times. And what are we supposed to do in this? Are we just going to fall asleep? Are we going to be inept? Are we going to be passive? God is calling us to be a prophetic people. This is not a time to shrink back. This is a time to rise up and be God's habitation. This is a time to rise up and be counted for Jesus like never before. This is not a time to whimper. This is a time to roar. Who else is going to roar except the people that is owned by the lion of the tribe of Judah? And the key to building five stones as a habitation is through prayer. Now, we've always had a weekly prayer meeting on Thursday nights, but we want to use technology to make it easier to include more and more people who are in different locations so we can do it daily. That's why we're encouraging everyone to get involved by Zoom, to seek God. Pray together, start our day together to build our spiritual muscles. Now, we may be starting with some baby steps, but it is a start. Every summit to be climbed or breakthrough to be had begins with that first step. And we want you to be drawn by the Holy Spirit. We don't want you to feel like the shepherds are just cracking the whip or stomping their rods and say, do this, do this. We want you to be genuinely drawn by the Holy Spirit. You know what, Pastor Rich, I I do want to get closer to God. I haven't been praying as much. I haven't been doing my devotions. I need a little kickstart. It'd be great to be together with 5, 10, 30, 50 people in the morning, even if it's for 10 minutes, just to hear the hum of prayer, just to hear that the saints are together in seeking the Lord. Now, part of our teaching on prayer is going to include a case study of a very unique revival that is happening right now in northern Georgia as in the state of Georgia in the United States. In a small town called Dawsonville, with a population of just 3,000 people, one hour north of Atlanta, God has been pouring out his spirit in signs and wonders and miracles for three years. And starting in mid-October, for three Thursday nights, when we have our weekly prayer meeting, in parallel to our Sunday services and preaching, I'm going to be conducting a three-part special series in which I'm inviting every one of you to come and hear in-depthly the story of this revival and the part that prayer is playing in what God has been doing. We're highlighting North Georgia and what's happening there because it will give us a concrete example in this hour of what it's like for God to move in power like he did in the early church. Mimi and I have been blessed to live through pockets of revival in our 40 years of walking with God. Seasons of two or three weeks where the glory was poured out in a church, in a location. But many of you have never experienced revival. It's a powerful word and a powerful concept in the Bible, but you've never seen it. You've never felt it. You've never been touched by it. Well, there's a place in North Georgia where it's happening and we want you to taste a little bit of it to see what God does. Maybe blow apart some of your concepts and constructs because that's what God specializes in. He comes to bring new wine, wine that we've never tasted before. We go, my goodness, what is this? Now, this church in North Georgia is unique in its humility, its brokenness, its generosity, its dedication to prayer, its commitment to the glory of God, and how it models so much of the New Testament passion and love 
that we are studying. And it's a church like our size. It's not a U.S. megachurch. It's a church like our size. In fact, this revival is a small church revival. God still loves the mangers in Bethlehem. Amen? Now, to get a sense of what God is doing in this revival, I want us to listen to a six-minute clip here. I'm actually going to play two clips. One's six minutes, one's two minutes. But this first one here is a testimony from Todd Smith. And he is the pastor of the church where this revival is centered. Although he is a charismatic, by training he is a Baptist. He got his Master's of Divinity from Southwest Baptist Theological Seminary, which is the main seminary that trains Baptist ministers. Now one unique feature of this revival is how God gave Pastor Todd a picture of fire coming upon the waters of baptism and that people would encounter God as they got immersed. So in this video I'm going to show you, Pastor Todd is going to be speaking, and it's a, it's a podcast that he was part of. So we're going to roll this clip, and this is Pastor Todd here. The glory of the Lord entered our, our building, and, and I'm talking about, it, there's no mistake. On February the 11th, on a Sunday night, well, when that happened, I recalled the vision, okay, that we needed, you know, God's going to touch people in the baptismal waters. And for me, baptism has always been about the ceremonial, you know, expression of the new birth. And, but this vision was different than that, not nullifying the, the you know, the significance of that new birth, you know, uh, baptism, which is doctrinally correct. And, you know, one of the precious things that we experience in church life, this was an extension of the altar what God was conveying to me. So on February the 18th, on Sunday night, I said, we're going to baptize people. I believe the Lord's going <laughs> to, I believe fire is going to fall on people in the baptism water. And I said, guys, if you want to be baptized again, get closer to the Lord, rededicate your life, come. This is not because you got born again. It doesn't, again, minimize your previous baptism. It's an extension of the altar where we're going to come into the water and die. Eight people came forward and got baptized. And nothing happened in the water, Sean, nothing. And so, man, my reputation's on the line. I'm thinking, man, I said there was going to be fire in the water, and they felt zilch, nada, okay? And then so the next Sunday night came, and we said we're going to baptize again. Nine people got in the water, and once again, nothing happened. I'm talking about, I, I mean, not even not even a, a little light, you know what I'm saying? It's just not even a matchstick of fire. It was as cold as ice. I stopped baptizing, but the presence of God increased and really intensified in our services. There was a reason that God did not set the water on fire in the beginning. And here's the reason. He had to take myself and our church through a process of sanctification. A process of peeling back the areas of our lives that were compromised. Okay? And he had to make us ready to be able to host his presence in the world that would be coming as a result of the encounters in the water. And, and so because of great love for us, he said, all right, I've got to fortify you. I've got to dig deep. I've got I to gotta take the knife out, the scalpel, and I'm going to go into the recesses of your heart that you have hidden and that you have literally uh, condoned and justified certain behaviors. And for two and a half months, Sean, for two and a half months, the presence of God was so sweet and so strong that he was dealing with us and literally strengthening, strengthening our spiritual muscles. And one night during prayer, a lady walks up to me because the baptism had already left my mind. We're not baptizing because nothing happened. It must be for the new converts. So I've already checked that box off. She said to me, Todd, you may, you may want to rebaptize again our spontaneous baptism, open up the waters. I prayed about it. The next Sunday we did. And I'm here to tell you, Sean, we gave the invitation for people to come get baptized. Probably about 15 to 17 people walked up, said, I want to be spontaneously baptized. I want to rededicate my life. And when they stepped into the water, the fire of God came upon them. Not so much when they got baptized alone, but as they put their feet in the water, 
presence of God started touching them. They started weeping. They started repenting of sin. They started confessing sin publicly. And then they would get baptized. Now watch this. They'd get baptized in the water. And when they would come up, many of them would just begin to speak in tongues. And others of them couldn't even find their feet. In other words, they couldn't stand. So this was a new paradigm for me. I'm talking about just a whole new world. What do you mean you got slain in the spirit in the water? And there we are trying to hold them up because if we weren't there, they'd drown. I mean, they're out in the spirit. And then we started hearing people saying, my psoriasis is gone. My blood pressure has been regulated. I'm, you know, I'm praying in tongues more than I ever had. And now I've got such peace in my life. And it was what Jesus showed me in the vision was becoming a reality. Now we're 15,000 plus baptisms into this. And we are seeing cancers heal. We are seeing people, creative miracles happen. People that are blind, as far as legally blind, eyes popping up. We got videos of it all. Bonafide miracles, medically documented miracles of before and after pictures of cancers being completely obliterated. ADHD being healed in the water. People with mental illness being cured. Not in an altar, so to speak, at front in a prayer line, but literally coming to the water and saying, Lord, I'm dying to myself. I'm bearing the old. And Jesus, can you touch me tonight? And they're going up underneath that water, bearing the old and coming up brand new. And the fire of God is touching them. I have seen, Sean, not dozens nor hundreds, but thousands, thousands of miracles of all shapes and sizes. And it is a direct result of the glory of the Lord being in our building. And even to this day, Sean, even to this day, our priority is not praying for miracles. We're not praying for healings. When we pray, we pray five times a week as a church. We come together five times a week and we pray. And here's what we pray. Oh, God, we seek your face. We want to behold your glory. And would you continue to press into us? And I discovered that when I captured his face, okay, when I go after his face, I get everything in his hands. In the three-part series I'm going to do in October, we're going to expand on the story. This is just a little snippet. Yeah, just to say that um, there's much, much more to the story, but I wanted to give you a little snapshot of what God is doing there, and we'll fill out the story um, in October. Again, invite all of you uh, to come to that. Now, know what Pastor Todd said at the end here about prayer, how they're seeking God's face, and that the signs and wonders and miracles are a byproduct of that seeking. That's New Testament church passion and priority. It's not about the gifts that he gives, as wonderful as they are, but the church's priority is about Jesus himself. He is the reward. And you can never outgive God. When you are drawn to the Lord of lords, the King of kings, the shepherd of your soul, the one who sets you free, you cannot be around him and not receive freedom. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And he is freedom. And so if you get around him, you are going to get freed, even of cancer, even of ADHD, whatever it might be. You heard him talk about these miracles, blood pressure. Now I want to show you an example of what and how God's healing power is showing up. I'm going to show you a two-minute clip of a young lady that was battling Crohn's disease for many years and could not even walk. And as she is baptized, the power of God comes upon her and she is instantly healed. This event happened earlier this year in May at a church pastored by a dear friend of mine in Knoxville, Tennessee. Now, many of you have maybe never seen an authentic, instantaneous miracle. So this might be like completely new to you. You might just have your breath taken away. But I want you to see this is what God is doing. So we're going to roll this little clip here. It's, very, it's taken by um, one of the people in the meeting, so it's not professionally done, but you'll get it, the sense of it. It comes from an iPhone. Oh. 
she couldn't walk? She was what? She was carried over there. Oh, thank you. I saw white when I went under. You saw white. She said what? She's completely pain free. You feel the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues. Nausea's gone. Nausea's gone. The nausea's gone. I want to drink. I want to drink water. Can, we get, a, can we get some water, please? A bottle of water? Drink. There's some right behind the camera right there. A bottle of water? One that's not open, guys. I don't... Not something wrong with somebody. I can stand! She hasn't been able to eat or drink without nausea, vomiting. <laughs> Thing, when she went on the water, she came up. She said, He loves me and He's not mad at me. several times I get choked up every time I see it there's so many things about this clip that is so powerful I think the most powerful thing is the revelation of God's love that she received God's not mad at me he loves me in the series I'm going to do in October here I'm going to also show you the testimony of her after this event show you different camera angles where she actually starts walking you don't see her walking in this one but she's standing this happened on a Friday night on Sunday morning for the first time. She drove to church, walked up to the front of the church, and gave a powerful testimony of why God chose her. Turns out of the hundreds of people that were in this meeting, God looked down on the one that was the poorest, the most hurting, the most traumatized, and picked her and said, I'm going to touch her. But what I love is that this is an encounter between a young lady and God himself. And what would happen if the next generation in this city encountered God in that way? We read in the, in the Gospels how these people, when they got touched by the power of God, the demoniac or the lame person or the blind person, how they were just crushed by the kindness of God. The woman at the, at the well, how she went into the city and told every single person and ignited a revival. <coughs> the demoniac that was delivered from legions of demons, living in that condition. He was naked, living in the cemetery. And he went into his city and started telling people what Jesus did. This is real stuff. What if this generation, which has been so saturated with anti-Christian, watered-down understanding of who the Lord is, encounters God, and all of a sudden he is real to them, and most of all, his love. Next Sunday after our service, Mimi and I and half a dozen other church leaders from around the city are going to Minneapolis for three days of special meetings, October 4 through 6. Please be praying for us. And we're going to go to a meeting that's hosted by Pastor Todd Smith, actually in the church that I pastored before we moved here to start the church here at Five Stones. And our goal as a team is to learn as much as we can and see what we can bring back to our city and to five stones for the glory of God. 
because behind this North Georgia revival is a massive backstory about New Testament church culture. They're not reinventing anything. They're just discovering what God has written for us in the scriptures all this time. And if we will but faithfully and diligently and passionately return to these foundations, God will come and favor us. That's what we're after, creating a place where God can regularly and routinely move in power and love and revelation and salvation so that the city will know that God is in our midst. That's habitation. I also want to mention that Pastor Todd has now tentatively agreed to come to Five Stones Church March 3 through 5 of next year, and it would be his first meetings in Canada. Now, having said all that, let me end by pointing us to this scripture in Hosea chapter 10. The prophet says there, Sow to yourself in righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. In pursuit of building a place of habitation, we need to do something as a congregation that's very important in terms of our preparation. And that is we need to plow up the fallow ground of our hearts. Fallow ground is a farming term, and it refers to ground which is inactive, dormant, hard, and unproductive. But God wants to turn our hearts into a productive field. And in this one verse here, Hosea teaches us three musts. The first is that we must sow to ourselves in righteousness. We need to start hungering for the righteousness of God, seeking first his kingdom, saying, God, align my values, my heart, my attitude with you. Break the strong will inside of me. Break my independence. Break those things that are not pleasing to you. Clean me up putting off our unclean ways. And as we do that, Hosea says that we will reap the mercy, the fruit of mercy. Or in my version here in the NASB, we will reap in accordance with kindness. God cannot help but pour out kindness when we seek his face. Jesus said in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's a kingdom people. I was reading this morning in my devotions that when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration, he was praying. And the Bible says that as he was praying, his face became different and his clothing became white and gleaming. We can't change ourselves. As much as we try and bootstrap and commit, we cannot change ourselves. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to make us clean and bright That's where the transfiguration comes. Christianity is not a self-help religion. It's a religion in which the Spirit of God comes to fill you with the Spirit of grace. Hosea says that we also must seek the Lord. For it is time to seek the Lord. It's time to seek the Lord. This is a kairos time. We must be persistent As Hosea says, until God comes with his reign. We need to be faithful, determined, regular, not sporadic or episodic in seeking God and seeking righteousness in our lives. In order for breakthrough to come, we need to keep at it till the Holy Spirit breaks through in our lives. God is looking to build a house of prayer. Habitation comes through faithful seeking and praying and crying out to God, being broken and contrite before him. You ever notice how Jesus is drawn to the most broken and hurting people? Everywhere he went, his compassion was poured out because he was drawn to the most broken, hurting person. And if you are broken and if you are hurting, you are God's prime candidate to be touched. So you just come as you are, no heirs. You don't have to be with perfect clothing on. Being broken, supplicating, interceding, and confessing our deep need for him. This is the dynamic of breaking up the fallow ground. We need to pray and be before God to plow up the grounds of our heart so that fresh soil can be turned over and the hardness of our hearts can be broken up. God wants soft hearts for revival, not stony ones. 
Seeds of faith and truth cannot be planted on fallow ground because those seeds just bounce off the dry, hard soil. But if our hearts are soft and broken, then seeds can be deposited, multiplied, and bear much fruit. This is a work of habitation. Being a people that are open and tender, longing to see God's face and His glory. So tomorrow we start our morning prayer. But I'd love to see every member in our church sign on at least once in the next month to get us launched. Even if it's just an experiment. Just say, I don't really get what Pastor Rich is talking about. Okay, well just do it once. It just is an experiment. You don't even have to pray or appear on screen or turn on your audio. Just show up with your thumbnail. No one has to see. But here's the thing I ask of you. Just come with a spirit of agreement as you listen. So if someone prays, you go, wow, amen. Or, oh, wow, that's good. Or I like that verse that they, they read. Just come with a spirit of agreement. Now the links for our meetings are going to be at the fivestoneschurch.org website. There's a big button on the first homepage there. You click on that, 630, it will get you in. Uh, we've also shortened the Zoom link using a uh, bit.ly shortener, Five Stones Church Morning Prayer. For those of you who maybe don't have a smartphone and you want to just dial in, there's a number there that I put on the screen that you can dial in and you can hear the prayer that is going on. So to remind us, we'll start our prayer times thematically. Monday is going to be focused on the church receiving a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus. Isn't that what we need? A revelation in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We need this. Tuesday, we're going to pray for harvest and for revival based on Luke 10. Wednesday, we're going to pray through specific passages in the Bible. Thursday, is going to be emphasis that the church be rooted in love. And Friday, we will pray for specific prayer needs around our members and our ministries. There'll be two prayer captains per day. The links are listed for you there. Let's use it as a time to start our devotions or kickstart our spiritual walk as a way to be together as a church family. And remember that all of this is towards our overall goal to be a landing place for God at Five Stones, a place of glorious habitation. Lord God, we ask that you begin to work in our hearts that you begin to break up the fallow ground, that you begin to create a hunger where there hasn't been a hunger, that you lift any guilt or shame that the enemy would put on us for our prayerlessness. It matters not. Tomorrow is a new day. Your mercies are new every morning. It's never too late to turn back to you and to come afresh to you. Oh God, we're crying out for our church. We're crying out for our city. Do in our day what you did, God, with the early church in the book of Acts. Is it too much to ask, God? And even if it doesn't happen, Lord, we will sow in the spirit that the next generation, that the next church will be able to reap our intercession. But we believe, God, you want to do something in this hour, something that's timely, something that's amazing. Lord, that the next generation will behold and see that God is good above and beyond what they can think or imagine. Bind us together, God, with cords of love. Let a spirit of unity, let a spirit of zeal, and a spirit, Father God, of grace be upon us. For all of you that are listening on YouTube, for those of you that are listening upstairs, may that same anointing touch and hit you. We thank you now in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Just... Uh... Lord just spoke to me this morning, and I just had to jump up here before John, but I really feel one of the constructs that the Lord wants to break down is even the way that we look at the New Testament, and I think even I've been guilty of, we look at Pentecost, and we look at the events that happened right after Jesus, and we think of that as the pinnacle. We think of that as this peak that we need to get back to, and I really feel that this sermon series is named appropriately because that was the foundation. That was the bottom. That was the starting place. So we need to set our goals above that. Pentecost was a starting place. You know, 
as I was kind of praying through with the Lord, the, I don't know if it's a joke. I kind of joke with the Lord sometimes when I'm, I'm doing things. But I was like, yeah, of course we should be better. I mean, the Holy Spirit's had 2,000 more years of practice. He is setting the goal higher. And so I think we need to take those constructs, we need to take those mental barriers that we have put on ourselves, even as a church, even as the church has put on itself, and we need to go and, and set our goals above that. So Pentecost was not the goal. Pentecost was the starting place. We are going to see bigger and greater, and we need to trust for that. Thanks, Alex. This isn't about just a good thing to do. This is about you. This is about setting a new foundation for your own personal walk with Jesus. This is about God doing something in your personal life. Our call to prayer isn't just, hey, this is a great idea for the church. This is about your walk with Jesus. It's setting your heart anew. As Richard's preaching, there was this moment where I really believe, and I believe God, God is speaking, where he's going to be doing something radical in every single one of your lives if you join into this prayer meeting, if you devote yourself to prayer. So often the church focuses on the ministry of the church, but in Acts we see that it says prayer and ministry. There's an order th in, in these things. Prayer first, then ministry. We need to start with prayer because prayer sets our heart in the right place. Prayer sets our minds in the right place. It gives us the ability to actually do ministry because we pray. I want to encourage the church to do this because I care for your spiritual walk. I care for your spiritual discipline. And I want you to see God's face. I want you to see God's heart. That's why I want you to be a part of this. I want us as a church to begin a movement in this city that is so radical and so different. But that begins with prayer. So let's pray, church. Father God, we just ask for your spirit. We ask for your spirit to move in our hearts. Let us behold your glory. Let us see your face. And Lord, may we move together as a church and go to the places that you send us. Let us come together as a church and behold your glory so that the world may know that you are God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Be blessed. We'll see you guys next week.